Welcome to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve Clark. Hello, everyone. This is Steve Clark, and thanks so much for tuning in to the show. I'd like to thank Wayne Bryan for the intro and Mike and Bob Bryan for the music. A special thanks to all they do for tennis through the Bryan Bro Foundation and more. Today, my guest, Ann White, was not only an accomplished player in the juniors, college and on tour, but continues to make an impact in the sports sport world, particularly tennis, uh, through media, education, and all that while she's uh, the director of the Beverly Hills Tennis Club. When Ann was nine years old, she was 29 in the U.S. in the 12s. Nick, Bell, Nick Bolletieri watched her in uh, the National 16s and offered a scholarship to train in Florida, which is now the, the IMG Academy. And she attended USC, where she played number two as a freshman, went undefeated that year, was an All-American, and the team won the national championship. Additionally, Ann also won three USTA gold balls in one day. That's a heck of an accomplishment. The U.S. Amateur Clay Courts in Pittsburgh, um, winning the singles, dubs, and uh, mixed doubles. And in 1987, after two years at USC, uh, Ann turned pro and played eight years on the circuit. She reached number 19 in the world in singles, nine in the world in doubles, and she won a singles title and eight doubles titles with six different partners, including Chris Everett. We're going to talk about that a little bit because that is tough to do. Um, Following her WTA career, Anne has been involved in a a broad array of endeavors, uh, color commentary for uh, for professional tennis tournaments, uh, including uh, the 1988 and 89 uh, USA Network uh, US Open. Uh, She spent 16 years as the director of wholesale for Cartier, um, and I'll you have to pronounce the other one, Jager uh, Lacotre, uh, watches. Uh, close. Yeah, yeah close. <laughs> and in addition to her directing tennis at the Beverly Hills uh, Tennis Club, she produced a, f- a featured documentary about Nick Balateri for Showtime, Love Means Zero. And we'll, we're going to talk about that a little later. And her passion also lies in co-producing a new online interactive reading platform called Read, which we'll discuss as well. So, Anne, thanks for joining me today. And how are you doing down there? Apparently, it's not so sunny Southern California today. So how are things going? Uh, well, things are going relatively well, considering that we're all sort of trying to navigate our way in this new world at the moment, um, being sheltered in. But I have found a lot of... Um, neighborhood hikes uh and hidden staircases turn around up and down and i've been working <laughs> out at the the track at ucla back to my old training tricks and, yeah um but today it rained all day so um i i did uh sneak a workout in uh in a friend's gym thank goodness but um it's it's not not been easy and uh, no tennis so uh, that's right. been a, a big drag so. right yeah well, we have a lot to cover from your junior years all the way to uh, your uh, to a very famous academy you attended, from college to the pros, and a white suit in Wimbledon, and from the pros to running a club, producing a movie, and an interactive reading program. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, I know I gave a brief bio of your earlier years, but can you share with us uh, what the time was like? Um, because one thing for sure, uh, as a junior, not many two stories are alike and someone out there will probably relate to yours in some way and be encouraged. Um, and I'm sure uh, many will be, 
um, and they'll, you know, everybody has a little different uh, pathway, what they're doing with tennis. So could you share a little bit um, what your beginning was like, your early journey? Uh, well, I, um, I'm the oldest child. I have a, a brother who's five years younger than I am. And um, my dad was um, captain of the West Virginia University basketball team. And so he always um, played ball with me when I was little. And so I established, I think, a really good hand-eye coordination at a very young age. And when I was five and a half, my mother um, was playing in a uh, ladies' doubles game at the Charleston Tennis Club where I grew up in Charleston, West Virginia. And um, I had to sit and watch her play because I was actually in a little bit of trouble. So that was my punishment <laughs> um, for overcharging at the snack bar for treats. Uh-oh. And um, so my two friends were down playing in a kid's clinic um, for the five to seven year olds. And they made fun of me and they teased me and they said, you know, ha, 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 ha I can't play tennis. And my mother had me in ballet and swimming and horseback riding and all these other things that I really didn't like. And I, I didn't like being teased, so I kept begging my mother to put me in this tennis class because my friends were teasing me. And so finally, after about two weeks uh, of me being teased and, and hating it and me bugging her, she finally put me in the class. And then within a week, uh, the pro contacted my mother and said, um, I'm moving Ann up with the nine-year-olds because she can actually hit the ball and is pretty good. And these other ones, her friends are just hitting the balls over the fence. So um, I think I was just gifted from an early age and I found something that I was good at and that I liked. And, um, you know, I was lucky. Um, It wasn't really like I was dying to play tennis, but I just sort of stumbled into the game. Huh. You know, so stumbling into it at an early age then, you know, uh, you know, I know some young kids, uh, you know, I've had players in the past uh, who said at a certain age, they go, oh, I want to be number one in the world, or I want to play professionally, or I want to go to college. Did you have any early aspirations like that? Oh, my gosh, no. I mean, I wanted <laughs> to be near the snack bar at the club and hang out at the club. And, you know, I it's one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing today, because I love club life. You know, Hanging love, at the snack bar? <laughs> well, truly the snack bar. But, um, but also the camaraderie right. of people and, and playing sports and um, the way that adults act, uh, interact with children. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and you get better and you learn, you know, different uh, strokes from different people and, um, and you improve your game and uh, all of that. So um, I, I just started hitting on the wall and I liked it and I found something that I was that I got good at. And then my parents, I started playing in tournaments and I, I did my first coach. Um, really saw that I had some talent and so he sort of spoke to my parents and then I started playing in some local tournaments and then I you know played the nationals 12 and under when I was nine years old and I think I won the orange bowl when I was 10 or 11 or you know I was gifted you mm-hmm. know and then I was I found something I was good at so I was lucky and I was also very lucky that I had parents that um, really saw to it that I got to these tournaments and that um I was able to go, go to the next step, but it was never like, Oh my God, I'm going to play Wimbledon or Oh my God, I'm going to do this. It was, Oh my gosh, I get to go to Arkansas or Oh my gosh, I'll, <laughs> I'll get to go to California. Or, right. you know, it was always just one step at a time. And I think that in anything in life is, is really one of the golden rules is not to get too far ahead of yourself. That's a great point right there. Um, 
So your parents, you know, your mom played tennis, and you said, but, but did your dad play? I mean, I know he did other Not things. Not very well, no. No, no. He, he, uh-huh. no, he was a basketball star in college, right. and then uh, we belonged to this great tennis club. And then what happened was uh, the Charleston Tennis Club, which was, uh, is, was and still is the nicest tennis club in the state of West Virginia, was the host to the girls 16 and under nationals. So when I was like 11, Chris Evert and um, like Marina Redondo and a lot of these big top players, uh, the Tinney sisters were coming through for the nationals. And so I was like, oh, I can be a ball girl. You know, I was like 10 or 11. I'll be a ball girl for these really good players. Mm-hmm. And they come from California and Florida and all over. So then I got introduced to more great tennis. And then I then, you know, shortly after that, you know, Chris started playing professionally and then, you know, so, so you're sort of around something and you see Mm -hmm. players and Mm -hmm. then you see that they've made it and then you think, well, wow, look at, they're on the, you know, the center stage now playing Wimbledon, but it was never something that I remotely thought that, that I had a chance to get to until way till into college or, you know. Right. So, so seeing, seeing that level of play is, is important. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we all need to be motivated or inspired. I mean, you can't, you know, do the same thing right. every day, day in and do drills and hit on the wall and not have some glimmer of, you know, it's just like throw me a throw me a treat, throw me something, you know, get, you know, get to that next level, get see, you know, you have to see it to be it. And then you start realizing that, hey, you know, that so-and-so did it, you know, and I, this is the path. And, um, you know, and there was really only one way to get there. I mean, you had to, I was in the Back then it was um, the Western section, but, um, you know, you had to finish certain um, top 10 in a section to make nationals or else you didn't go. I mean, that's all, the, you know, that's all there was to it. Right. Um, and you had to play consolation. <laughs> I mean, you didn't, you didn't want to play, but you had to play. Yeah. Unless, you know, you were super sick or broke your arm. You, you had to play. Right. And so, um, and those things made you get better. I mean. Nick Terry saw you. And then tell us how all that worked out. So he, he invited you to the to the academy. Well, Nick saw me play at the National 16s in the 14 and unders. And at that point, my ranking had dropped because I didn't have a coach in the winter. And I only played like three hours a week indoors with my father's friends. And I'd been going over, flying over to Columbus, Ohio, like every other weekend to work with another coach over there. But it was just tough for me to, to get the kind of competition and practice that I needed in Charleston. So Nick saw me play and liked my game and um, approached my parents and said, I'm going to start this little, you know, tennis school. <laughs> it, wasn't a, it wasn't an academy. This was pre-academy. I'm going to start this little tennis school. <laughs> um, this tennis school at the Colony Resort on Longbow Key in Florida. And why don't you come down for a visit and check it out? Well, anybody that knows me knows that I hate being cold. I mean, I have never liked being cold. I don't ski. I just, I just don't like it. So... We go down to uh, Longboat Key, and we I take one look at that beach, and I see that I can play tennis three or four hours a day, and I was like, whoa, this is cool. My parents were like, yeah, when you're 16, we'll give you a car, and I'm like, wow, this sounds like a pretty good deal <laughs> to me. <laughs> so, um, and so Nick, you know, was just starting. It was me and um, about six or eight local kids. There were no out-of-state students. I lived with a family for two and a half years. Um, and then shortly after I came down, then um, Jimmy Arias and Carling Basson and Kathleen Horvath and Paul Anacone and Pablo Araya and um, 
the De Palmers were already down there because they lived in Bradenton. Mm -hmm. So um, it was just a small group of us. And then there were, you know, four or five pros to train all of us. And, you know, we all got better and we all went to tournaments on the weekends. And, you know, it was a crazy time and a great time. Wow. So, um, so the, well, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things is uh, this movie. So later on, we'll get into this, but the the movie that uh, Anne produced, Love Means Zero, it's available it, um, after uh, you can go to the website and it'll be on. If you go to CoachSteveClarkPhD.com and click on my podcast page, then look for Anne's name, Anne White, and you click on that, then you can actually go to. There's a trailer that you'll be able to watch um, and and access to other things. But uh, it's a great uh, it's a great movie. We'll talk about it in a bit. So I got a question though. When um, what was your first impression of Nick? Um, Would your folks think you know not just about the place? You know, I mean, obviously you had a uh, you know you had the oohs and ahs about wow I get to be at the beach and play tennis all the time. What was your um, your first impression of of uh, Nick as uh, and a person as a coach and because he didn't really play. Well, Nick was you know there's there's only one Nick. Right. And you know <laughs> as a kid. Nick was really intense, and it's like, you know, if Nick says, hey, we're flying to the moon, you say, okay, what time, and, um, you know, what do I need? You know, I mean, you don't Mm -hmm. really question anything, and and he has a very unique way of speaking. He's very direct, and um, he's he's a motivator, and he makes you feel that you can be ten times better than you even thought you could be, and so he really – fulfilled i think um a need that i had and my Mm. parents knew that if i didn't take this chance Mm. that i might i'd probably be an okay college player but i really wouldn't be able to fulfill what my talents were Mm. and they knew it better than i did i mean i just didn't you know i i was looking for the adventure and right and of course i wanted to get better in tennis and i thought this would be fun and and all that but um they kind of realized that you know they didn't want to have any regrets that if if that yeah they didn't let me go. Right. And they ended up, you know, buying a home down there and, and they still have a home live there where I trained with Nick as exactly across the street. And that's wow. kind of how I got the movie. Right. Five years ago, I got the idea to, to, um, to do the film. But, um, anyhow, um, it, it was just, I was in the right place at the right time. And I needed my coach, uh, John Santrock, who started me, um, is a child psychologist and he's written more child psychology books i think than anybody in the country he's like the leader um and so he was a brilliant is a brilliant man and was a great coach but he couldn't be with me in the winter so um i needed i needed that attention to get to the next level and Mm -hmm. i think my parents were um you know in that day you know you had all the the players were from california or florida or they were from the warmer climates right Um, and then you needed to play all the time. So. Well, after a couple of years there, you went to USC. So I'm curious, how did that uh, transpire? I mean, I know like people see when they in the in the movie that you know there's relationships and you know people know they're going to take a certain trajectory and all that. So uh, did Nick encourage you to go to USC, or was that hey I'm going? You know, or how did how did that work out? Because you obviously well, were a talent and he saw it. So. Well, Nick didn't want me to go to college and he my, he had a, an argument with my parents one night they stayed up all night arguing and um he just thought i sh- should turn pro 
and my parents put their foot down and said, no, she's going to college, um, which I'm really glad that I did because it's, it's just the tour is brutal out there. And, um, you know, you, you need to, you need a, you need a little, a little bit of a grown up to get out there and deal with everything you have to deal with and mature and your game needs to mature and all that. But, um, I was fortunate enough to kind of have a scholarship wherever, wherever I wanted to go. And, um, I remember my dad took me to the Stanford campus and <laughs> I kind of said to him, I said, you know what, uh, this is not going to work out because I don't study enough to go here. <laughs> like I knew I'd be in over my head. <laughs> and then I loved UCLA. UCLA was a great, I loved the campus and it was really between USC and UCLA. And there was a girl that cheated me out of a match in the juniors and I really just couldn't stand her. And so that's why Uh-oh. I <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I in, in the college ranks, I tell guys, I say, look, you know, um, it's a brotherhood and a frater- uh, sorority out there um, yeah. because, yeah. you know, your relationships in college or juniors are going to, you know, people change. But those relationships and how you treat people on the court in the juniors in college and, they, you know, they uh, transfer over onto the pro tour even. You know, people want to hit with you or they don't. <laughs> right. No, you're, your, you're absolutely yeah. right. And I j- actually joined a sorority. I was a Delta Gamma. And so I got to live a little bit of college life. And um, some of my dearest friends to, to this day are friends from tennis juniors and my sorority sisters from college. So, mm. you know, there's a, they're just amazing um experiences that that really create the fabric of your life um in my opinion so i'm grateful that i was able to go to school and then we were so good i mean i i would race my teammates to see if i could win faster than they could (laughs) so um (laughs) we um we had a lot of fun and um and SC was great, and you know I'm, I'm really glad that I ended up going there. That's great. Now I th- I think I know the answer to this question, but I do like to uh, ask people this: uh, Do you see co- collegiate tennis then as a pathway to the pro uh, the pro ranks? I mean, it depends on the player. You uh-huh. know, I mean, I definitely I definitely think more for men than for women because men develop a little later than women do. Uh, and get a little stronger. I think it's much harder mm-hmm. for a guy to get out of juniors and then go play pro tennis. Um, but I think a, a, the girls can do it a little easier. But I, you know, it just depends on the player. Mm-hmm. And um, sure. you know, I don't. And also, you know, I think you have to really look at the big picture and think about um, what your personality is all about. I mean, what are your goals? I mean, do you really? Do you want to be in the top 10 in the world? Do you want to just play and have that experience? I mean, you, you should think about, you know, down the road. I mean, do I, am I interested in art history or, you know, studying blah, blah, blah. Is that something <laughs> that I really see myself doing, you know? So right. if you can be objective like that because, you know, to make it professionally and to, to really, really make it, I mean, is, is quite a sacrifice and is, is brutal and, you know, very, very few make it right well given that you won eight tour titles um and you know doubles is important in college um just curious about your thoughts on doubles as you know in in uh, kind of creating a fully orbed person you know well-rounded player um what are your feelings on college doubles it's changed a lot over the years and you know how doubles can really maybe you could speak to that how that could really help players develop because i think a lot of times uh, particularly in the juniors, and it's it seems it's more and more watered down in college. Um, 
I think there's a huge value in doubles to be able to develop the uh, fully, uh, you know, uh, well-rounded player. I just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I just think that, uh, I mean, back in the day, I mean, McEnroe used to play doubles all the time. I mean, he hated to practice, so he played doubles. Mm -hmm. and then, But that's also more court time, more experience playing matches. I mean, it, it helps fine-tune your game, um, especially, you know, the return to serve and serve and, and that sort of thing in terms of preparation for singles. But, you know, I think it's kind of a shame that um, – in the collegiate level that, you know, they, what do they play three doubles matches for one point or something? Yeah. Well, it's, it's now it's uh, even six games and sometimes that we've had matches depending who you're playing or, I mean, that literally last 15 minutes. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's, 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 that's terribly sad to me. And I just think that it, to me, it sort of does not value all the players on the team. Um, if that's all your contribution mm -hmm. is. Um, yeah. but I, I think, um, you know, to play doubles, um, I mean, they, they're not changing the, the, at least that I'm aware of in, in basketball or football, they're not changing the quarters of the times or, you know, I mean, they've made sort of minor changes in um, the rules of football and basketball and to have all these rule changes. Um, and I know some of the matches get long, but I mean, you, you're playing no ad, right? I mean, right. It can go quick. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I, I think that's really unfortunate. Um, I don't, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's a good thing. Yeah, one of the things, and and uh, you know, you're probably aware of this, um, but you know, one and uh, this is just kind of the top of my head is one of the things that I've I've always been a proponent for. They have what's called a clinch, and as a coach, I've never I've let's put it this way, I've always wanted to finish every match. So even if the rule is clinch, like once the match is stopped, let's say for example, you could have a player that's in singles, and then they're literally serving for the match. And then the, uh, the, the match score is actually done. So the other team has already won. They'll stop yeah. that match. And I've always been against that because you can't learn how to hold to win and you can't learn how to come back to win and just deal with the suffering in tennis. You know, there's no time clock on tennis. And it, right. I, th I, think that's, I think that's one of the biggest uh, – I mean, they want to try and fit it into TV and all that, but I think that's one of the biggest I, things. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's, uh, you know – just like I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of coaching either. I mean, I think it's fine on the collegiate level, but on the pro level, I mean, you know, mm. there doesn't need to be coaching out there. That's part of part of the beauty of the game is you get out there and you figure it out. Yeah. And people are going to coach from the stands. That's been going on forever. <laughs> I, mean, I remember they used to lock up Steffi Groff's dad. He was at Hilton Head one year up at the trees somewhere, and they had to go get him. And, huh. You know, I mean, that happens. Right. It's going to happen. Right. But, you know, to have coaches come on the court and. I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. Well, I can check that off my question to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the uh, you know with your nine titles? You have the one singles and the eight dubs. What are some of the biggest moments uh, or memories from that? And you know those lessons that carry on now, even even this day as a coach, as a director, you know that sort of thing. Um, you know, I mean, all, a lot of it's just keeping your head, you know, keeping your cool and um, and not giving up, you know, and 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 being. Um, resilient and um just having that drive you know i mean that's the one thing that, that that tennis players you know top players have i think is you know you've got to be driven you know and that's 
a good thing and a bad thing. I have to watch that because, you know, I'm just in it's passion. I mean, I have to have passion for what I do. And I think any athlete that, that competes at that level has that sort of fire or drive or passion or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. And that translates and you need to, you need to find outlets for that in your life and find things that you become passionate about. Right. Um, because that's, uh, that's what propels you, um, you know, to, to keep fighting, to keep playing and, you know, to, to get that, uh, hopefully you get that win and, um, and feel good about it. Yeah. There's, there's a saying, the big time is where you're at, you know, and so I'm kind of, uh, digging into your pro level here, but, you know, let's say somebody's not reaching the pros or they're, it's a big match in college or it's a big match in a tournament form. What, when you reach those big moments on the pro tour, did you ever have those thoughts, you know, that kind of that realizing the size of the moment did you think about did you say oh i'm about to win this or did you say just get the stinking ball in the court i mean how did you handle the big moments so whatever that big moment is for other people you could kind of share how you you know how that came about or how you dealt with it um for me it was always move my feet because my feet would freeze you know i mean i'd always have to sort of if i got nervous i knew that i had to move my feet so you know, I think it's about knowing individually, you know, when you get nervous like that, when you're on the verge of something, it's like, what do you need to do? You, what do you zero in on? What is that person's weakness? Yeah. Do I need to get that servant? What do I need to focus on? And let's just, you know, hit the gas. But um, for me, it was just, you know, I, I had to make sure that I was moving my feet, you know, that I was getting in position. That's good. Yeah. For some people, it's just breathing. Um, and not only that, it's also before the match starts, you know, kind of forewarned is forearmed, you know, even know before going into a match, say, look, if this happens, I'm going to do this, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's another thing is you, you have to have that honest conversation with yourself and sort of know a, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are and the same with your opponent, you know, and you, you've got to know that, you know, in the crunch time, this, you know, they may like to hit that pass down the line you have to be ready for that so you know you have to arm yourself with as much information as possible and also with yourself and know that you know look i get tight on that second serve to the ad court you know i've got to get that first serve in my you know whatever it may be you've got to make sure you plan ahead because you don't want to be putting yourself in a position to be hitting a weak shot you know on a big point yeah on uh, on the playing end of things, you know, another big topic people, you know, I get a lot of questions about is, you know, man, I couldn't finish. I couldn't, you know, I'm, I'm in this, uh, you know, this match and I started thinking too soon. I was ahead. And, um, you know, one of the things I tell players is like, look, if you really want to learn how to finish, you know, some people watch the match early on and then they'll leave. And it's like, you know, actually the time to watch, if you, if you can't watch the entire match, watch the end of the first set watch the end of the match, see how people shut it down, you know, and or, you know, if they fold or if they kind of collapse, what happens, you know, so you can learn from that. When you played, what was there, were there tricks or things that you did for yourself to help you finish to say, look, man, I got to, I got to uh, hunker down here. What what did you uh, do? I, you know, I, I would just, my big thing is just, you know, no misses. I would just tell myself, you know, I'm not going to miss. You know, I'm going to just really, really zero in to one thought and say, you know, make them play. Make them hit as many balls as they can. If they hit a winner, I'll say nice shot. But I am not going to miss. Mm-hmm. And so you just become um, just really focused and, and really um, mentally just just determined. 
and you know at that point you know you you you're not relying you're not thinking about technique as much as just you know it's about the ball and you know just playing that ball and saying i'm not going to mess right you know? right you know it's interesting in in practice a lot of times people I'll, I'll tell people look don't miss in the net and they say well i'm i'm not i'm not trying to and i said well actually if you're if you're if you're not intentionally thinking hey out in, is good in practice um not in the net you know you can't actually train yourself not to miss you know it's the, the idea of when you're serving or you're hitting groundies you know people get a little sloppy and it's the idea of, look if you're okay with uh, missing long that's better than a net at least your opponent can call the ball in you know right uh, it, but no, i i have a thing about sloppy i mean when i work with the, the, my little kids team that i have to yeah it's like no sloppy tennis we work really hard when we're <laughs> out here and that's it because sloppy as you know sloppy practice you know ends up being you know sloppy matches and yeah Sloppy is, sloppy does. <laughs> so uh, I, I got to ask this, though, because um, uh, some people, when they uh, click on the uh, on the uh, the podcast, they're going to see you in the uh, the white cat suit. Um, mm-hmm. What year was that? That was uh, 1985. Um, 85, okay. Yeah. Um, and you wore this, and I noticed even the, I'm not, uh, I'm not hip on the fashion, but you even wore the leggings down below on the, on the ankles there, the anklets, I think that's what they're called. Oh yeah. That was very 1980s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, now can you tell a little bit of the story? My question is, is, uh, what, what made you think to do that when nobody else had done that? What was the, uh, the impetus for that? Well, I was, um, I was going out with, um, Ian Hamilton at the time and he was the head of global marketing for tennis for Nike. And, um, he had given me some tights, um to wear um that was right after the 84 olympics and um flo joe had worn those paneled tights those nike tights and um my i'm 5'11 and my legs are long and um and so i started wearing the tights in the winter season and i was like god these are great they keep my legs warm blah 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 and um so it was a joke one day we were at the beach and um i said oh my god can you imagine a, a white bodysuit at wimbledon you know it'd be fashion and function and you know we were just laughing and so i was under contract with pony clothes and shoes um for several years um and so i was wearing pony and um ian said oh yeah that's well you know it's kind of a good idea let's talk about you know so then it finally led to he went to nike and spoke to them about buying out my contract and they thought no it didn't seem like a good idea to them (laughs) so that was the end of it and then um we went to the french open and uh one night we had dinner with a guy named carlo grippo who was running nike italy at the time and he had been a uh, olympic athlete he'd been a runner in the olympics um in the 70s and uh so he thought it was a great idea and he said oh my god i'll i'll make it i'll send it to you in london it'll be great blah 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 blah." and so then um i just thought oh my god this is crazy this is never going to happen and you know i just met carlo once and Mm -hmm. um he's a real typical italian big personality and so um i got to wimbledon and carlo said oh it's on the way it's on the way and um i was playing pam the first round and it rained the first three days so we did not play our first round match until thursday and the suit arrived in my flat in london on thursday morning <laughs> and there were two suits one was sleeveless and the other was long sleeve and it, it was so sheer i could not just wear one because I, I put one on. I was like, oh, my God, I can never wear this. There's not enough clothes. So I actually had two suits on. 
and then I so got my pony patches and everything, and my Weight Watchers and my other endorsement. I think it was Sunbeam at the time on, right. on there. And uh, but you know, I that's kind of how it happened. Huh. But I I wear the tights all the time. I mean, look at Lululemon. I mean, right. I mean, I live in tights. Um, it, it's it's players hadn't thought about wearing something uh, to increase their performance at that time. Right. And I think it's. Um, a great thing in terms of, you know, injury prevention and then also, you know, keeping your muscles warm. Um, it's, it was highly appropriate in England because it's chilly there and right. our match started at seven o'clock at night and then we split sets and then the match got called due to darkness. We were set all and then we had to finish the third set the next day and I got walked off the court by the referee, Alan Mills, and taken to the Wimbledon jail in the office and told that I could never wear it again. Wow. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to get fined or they're going to kick me out of here or whatever. But, um, I, uh, you know, agreed not to wear it the next day. And then I lost, I think six or the third the next day. And it was even colder the next day. Oh, wow. So, so you won eight doubles titles and, uh, with six different partners, um, what uh, what was that like, and how did you go about? Uh, you know, uh, was how I guess what span of time was that? Was that over the eight years, like one different each year, or no? I just played with a lot of different people. You yeah. Know? Um, and you know, I like doubles. I mean, yeah. it's always fun to have somebody out there to talk with, and um, um, just you know, I was lucky that I had six different partners yeah. and. Um, got to the semifinals of the French Open doubles and then the semifinals of the U.S. Open doubles. Um, and, you know, I just, I, I did well in doubles and finally won a tournament in singles, which was great. And um, just decided to call a day after that. Yeah. Well, let's get on to your uh, movie with Nick Bulletary. So uh, clearly Nick is uh, one of the most famous coaches and in many ways, you uh, uh, you know, though he didn't play so much per se, he knew how to motivate players, like you said, you know, to an end. You know, he, um, I've met Nick, but, uh, you know, there's probably thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that have heard him or listened to him at, you know, conventions and things like that. But having known him so well, like yourself, um, I wanted to use this time to learn from your relationship with him and all the things, and particularly the movie, um, you know, and tell the people about the movie about Nick. And so you recently produced the movie Love Means Zero. And uh, so I want to talk about that because I'm sure there are tons of lessons to be learned. And one of the first questions I have is, you know, we obviously know love means zero, but was there a secondary meaning for that topic? I mean, that title? Or is that just... Um, well, I mean, I think, you know, Nick, you know, Nick's been married eight times, you know, um, he's, he's a complicated guy, you know, <laughs> so obviously love means zero in tennis. And then, you know, the movie sort of examines relationships, you yeah. know, and, and, um, and I think, you know, anybody that's played at that level that has coaches and teams and, you know, coaches come and go and, you know, it's, mm. it's a delicate balance yeah. to manage those relationships, um, between the player and the coach. And, um, you know, one of the reasons, um, that I was so passionate about doing the film is after I had lunch with Nick, I was down visiting my parents and I saw the new IMG Academy and, you know, it was, I don't know, a thousand kids go there. The campus is larger than UCLA. You know, it's, um, there's 22 soccer fields. I mean, it's just huge. Yeah. 
And I looked at Nick and I was just like, holy cow, Nick, I can't believe what you did. You know, look what all this, you know, you started and this became this incredible training facility. And I said, you know, I said, uh, somebody needs to do, you know, has anybody done a documentary on you? I said, somebody needs to do this. I said, just let me get back to LA and, you know, I'll have a couple of friends in the movie business and we'll see what I can do. So that's kind of how it all, all happened. And hmm. then we were shut down twice. It, we were actually shut down. First deal was with the ESPN, and then that fell through. And then we were shut down again. So we didn't, you know, we went two times of being like told that, you know, it's not going to happen. So the hmm. fact that it even got made, I just kind of go, wow, I can't believe that we actually got to pull this off. But, um, you know, I, the other thing is, um, you know, Nick, you know, was not the greatest on technique, but in terms of discipline and in terms, of uh, motivation mm -hmm. and drive um, and passion, um, you know, it was off the charts. And, you know, what he did is he created this atmosphere where we played against each other. And um, that made us really, really strong. And that's why they say play matches, play matches, go out and play matches, go play matches. You know, if you're not playing them in practice or tournaments, you know, you need to play them in matches. And so that's what he did. And I think, um, you know, other than the Williams sisters, I mean, you know, American tennis hasn't really, you know, it was in its heyday when, when Nick was, was really, um, you know, um, going full force in the Academy. Um, and I certainly wanted that to be, you know, in the film as well. And, um, you know, he, he coached well over a hundred thousand kids that, that, that he, that came through the Academy or his, you know, his camps and all of that. And, you know, everybody that I spoke to, whether their kid was good or whether they went there or not, it was like, oh, Nick, you know, they all had this unique experience. And, you know, 98 percent of them, you know, awesome experience with Nick and what the lessons that he uh, taught them, not so much always, you know, on the court, but also off the court about, you know, really working hard and um, being your best and, um, you know, competing, um, you know, at 150 percent every time. A hundred thousand kids. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to Steve Shula, who's um, his business manager, and it, it, he said, "Yeah, I think it, it's something like over a hundred thousand." That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So um, to have to be a teacher and to know that you had an impact on that many people is pretty darn freaking cool. In my yeah. Book, so. So, so the main impetus, or like you might say, what's the end game? Like when you did it, what was the? What were you? What do you hope people get out of it when they watch the movie? Um, I just, just to see, I mean, it, it's tough. It's tough to make it. It's tough for the player. It's tough for the family. It's tough for the coach. I mean, it, it is not an easy, um, deal to play pro tennis and it's a grind. And, um, uh, you know, Nick, you know, gave, I mean, he never charged me a penny. I, I, you know, lived with a family and my parents paid this wonderful family for me to, you know, monthly to live with them. Mm -hmm. And then my parents would visit me once a month. And I mean, I just think, well, now what were you thinking? Sending me down there when I was 14 years old. But right. I mean, people really weren't doing that back then. But, you know, he changed my life, you know, and yeah. I, I would not have had a pro career. Hmm. You know, I'm pretty darn sure of it. I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten there, you know, and I, I know a lot of people that you know, that feel the same way about Nick, that they, that he really, really got them to the, the next level. And, yeah. and he's got a huge heart. I mean, when we had the fires here last year, whatever, and he's texting me from Malaysia going, are you okay? Please let me know that you're okay. And, 
you know, I mean, he's, he's just an, an amazing person and mm. yeah, he made some mistakes and, um, as we all have, but, um, you know, he, he owns up to them and, um, and I think it's, it's, you know, kids like eccentric coaches like that, that, you know, that really, mm-hmm. that, that's, that bring out the best in them and, and really motivate them and cause them to uh, really um, give more than they think they can give on the court. And that's ultimately what makes you better. Yeah. What are some of your favorite memories when you were training there with, uh, with Nick? Or even maybe since then, other things that you've come across, even on the pro tour and your interaction with him or, or whatever. What are some of your favorite memories? Um, well, Nick, you know, he was always, um, you know, if you got in trouble, you had to go see Julio. And I mean, I never got in trouble. I never, you know, Julio would make you like wash his cars with a toothbrush or something like that. And I mean, I never got in trouble. I mean, I was pretty, uh, I just didn't get caught. I didn't do anything that horrible, but I never really got in trouble. And, you know, you just, you, you really just, um, and it was hit the beach. I mean, if you weren't working hard, you had to go run that beach and that nobody wanted to have to do that. And, um, what would be an and, example you know, of not working hard? Because so, some, some kids, you know, some people is like, well, I'm working hard. Uh, no, you're not. What would be an example in that, in that setting of not working hard? Well, I mean, it could be anything from a bad attitude, you know, or um, being defiant and not listening to, I mean, you know, you had to be on your toes. I mean, there was an element of, you know, being a military school to the whole thing in a way. Um, you know, Nick was tough and we all wanted his approval. Yeah. And, um, so you, you know, I was always grateful. I always thank Nick, you know, after every time I left, I'm like, thank you, Nick, you know, thank you. You know, I, I kind of was, I don't know, wise enough back then <laughs> as a kid to know that I was in a pretty good spot. Yeah, that's great. And lucky and extremely lucky. And, you know, Nick cared. I mean, you know, he, he cared about all the, all the kids that he taught and, um, you know, it's, it was, it was a kooky time, but yet all this great tennis came out of there. Yeah. There's, as I was watching the movie and again, uh, folks go to the, go to my website, click on Ann White's, uh, uh, to listen to the podcast, if, even if you're listening to it now, um, but go onto the blog site where it's located and, and, uh, click on that for the trailer and, uh, end up listening to the movie. Um, there's this lot of great sayings as I was going through this and I, you know, I'm thinking of it. I just don't want like, uh, lines, but I, I think they really speak to a lot of things. And, and I want to read a few of them. And if you have a thought or something, uh, let me know. Um, for example, he said, if you, I think it was his uncle or his dad said, if you ain't nobody, nobody's going to talk about you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, Nick, Nick loved, you know, uh, being the coach and being, being a star as well, you know, I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, but, um, but he was really devoted to those kids and mm. making them the best that they could be. And, um, you know. Yeah. Another one where he said, don't waste time about what people think about you. And I think that's really important. A lot of times, you know, we're just, you, you know, people are just too concerned about what other people think. I don't think, you know, Nick just did his thing. And that really comes clear, you know, through that, through the, the movie. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Nick, you know, I, I mean, he had no rearview mirror. Zero. <laughs> I mean, he just went 100 million miles an hour forward, you know, which, you know, I think too much reflection is not yeah. a good thing. But, you know, one needs to make sure that they don't keep repeating mistakes. Um, and I think, um, 
you know, through the film and, and when Nick reads the letter that, that, um, that Andre wrote him yes. from the book, right. um, I mean, that was, you know, it was, you know, close to 90 degrees and, um, it was hot, hot, hot. I was there, I had a headset on and he started reading that and then he started tearing up and we were all just sort of crying watching yeah. that. And that was, you know, none of this was rehearsed. Right. None of this was, you know, two takes or anything like that. But, you know, he, he does have a heart and he, he does care about all these kids. And, um, you know, it's, it, what he did, you know, it will never be, it will never happen again. And that yeah. was another reason why I wanted to do the film was right. there was so much, it was like, it's like someone says, Hey, go, go make that great recipe with everything that's in your kitchen. And, and you make this incredible souffle and you're like, Oh my God, I'll never be able to do that again. I mean, it's just like with Nick, the stars aligned, everything, you know, lined up for him to, to, to be, to launch, um, Academy tennis and pave the way for new, new ways of coaching and for all these pros to have academies and, um, mm-hmm. and produce all these, you know, try to produce all these good players. But, you know, there, it was really a, a sort of a kooky approach to the whole thing. There was a, there's a couple more. I just wanted, because I'm really curious, like when you were there, you know, did some of these things, st- you know, cause people evolve over time, how they do things. And I'm curious if he still had these, these thoughts and the way he did things the whole time, or did he kind of evolve? And like, for example, one of them, uh, he, he was uh, talking, it was in the movie. He's talking to Andre, Andre loses and he's breaking rackets and he's, and he's saying, I can't do it. I can't do it. And Nick went up to him and said, do you see a watch on my wrist? And Andre replied, no. And he goes, well, there's, there's no clock. Don't even say you can't do it. And I think that's just a great way to say it because the one thing about tennis, and I find a lot of uh, juniors and people in general, and I think this could be for a lot of things in life, is um, you know we talk about a closed and uh, open mindset, um, a growth mindset versus a closed mi- or fixed mindset. But the idea is a lot of kids think you know I was good, you know if if I'm this good here and Joe Smith over there is this good and he's a little better then I'm never going to get better than him. And it's not true. It's like everybody goes at a different rate. You know, some people will be better in two years. Um, some people outgrow physically the next person, and they'll they'll make it. And, and even the people who are really high now won't. And it, it, you can never label yourself at a certain period of time. And not only is there no time clock on a tennis match, there's no time clock on your uh, the process on how you're going to improve. And I, that's, that's, I really thought in a nutshell, that's what Nick said. Oh yeah. I mean, you just, that was the great thing about Nick is, as much as hard as he was on you, he was sensitive enough to be able to pick you back up. And, and, you know, he was funny and, and always got everybody's names mixed up. And, um, there was a, a goofiness about Nick there, there is about Nick as well. And that, um, you know, sort of provided some levity and then got you back up on your feet and, and back for more. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he really, um, you know, he, he, he kept pushing you, um, to get better and to be better. And, um, and I think he made, you know, all of us that, that were fortunate enough to train with him better than, than we thought we could be. Well, that, yeah, that's really important. I, and, and one last quote he, he said in there, um, I think this is really good for coaches he he made the distinction between tweak 
not change. You'd say, man, don't tell somebody you're going to change yeah. something. Say, yeah. we're just going to tweak it. And if you tweak it enough, eventually it becomes a change. And I think yeah. that's really good because sometimes people get freaked out about changes. They're, oh, man, what's wrong with my forehand now? It's like, well, no, man, we're just going to tweak it. We just got to add a little bit. And I, I really like that he said that. That was good. Do you, yeah. do you no, remember I, him I, doing that when you were uh, oh being coached? Oh, my co- gosh, all the time, all the time. Because, um, you know, my game, you know, I was more of a serving volleyer and, and, and I was not your – I mean, I had a big forehand, but I was not um, a baseliner like most of Nick's players. But, you know, he didn't try to, try to change my game. And I think um, today, you know, there's so much data and there's so much technical stuff. And, you know, it can just be an overload on your mind um, mm. in anything. And, and on the tennis court, obviously, that's not good. But, you know, I think I think you have to, to go for, um, you know, little changes and really look at what each player how they play. I mean, look at Jim Courier's backhand. I mean, you would never teach really anybody to hit that backhand like that. Um, you know, the I baseball mean, swing. But, but, right. But, but, you know, he perfected it, right. you know, and he was one of the hardest workers on the planet and, you know, he perfected it and it worked for him. But, um, and I think that's where, you know, not everybody, a lot of the players today, everything is kind of cookie cutter, you know, mm-hmm. and I think you really have to see, each player, guy or girl, and understand, you know, their their mentality and, and you know, what kind of game they're going to play and, and look at their strokes and really try to refine, you know, what they have versus trying to make everybody play the same because everybody can't play the same, you know. Right. Tell us about your read program. Um, well, that is, I have a little project that I've been working on with a couple of friends, artist friends, and that is um, an interactive uh, uh, book experience that's called READ, which stands for Read, Explore, um, uh, Experience, and Dream. And that is, our first project is a, uh, a book called uh, The September 7, and it's an interactive, it's like a book slash treasure hunt where you'll be able to get the book online and then uh, go through um, a series of questions as you read the adventure story and then you get rewards and keep them in your backpack and interactive maps. And um, so it's just a whole new way to read without um, actually having a physical book. You'll be able to do all this all online and then in short periods as well. So you'll get maybe 10 pages next time you'll get 12 pages so it's um kind of a uh a a book for people that like to read in short increments so uh you know you're directing you know a beautiful club you're Mm -hmm. you're producing a movie uh and then you do the read program what was the impetus for the read program what what spurred you on to that my mom was a teacher my mother taught fourth grade and um to this day i have people that will some of her former students will Facebook me and say, are you Joe White's daughter? She was my fourth grade teacher and she was the greatest, my greatest teacher ever. (laughs) And, you know, and this happened Mm -hmm. like 25 times and it didn't just happen once, you know? And, um, I realized, um, and also with Nick too, that the value of being a teacher Mm -hmm. and, you know, sharing your knowledge, um, with students and, um, it's it's just an amazing feeling, and I, I love working with the kids that I have at, at the tennis club and mm-hmm. sharing my knowledge with them. And so that's kind of how it came about. And then my um, artist friend Mark lives in Aspen, and he's 
um, a great illustrator as well. So we've just come up. Um, it's it's basically a a hybrid sort of um, book slash treasure hunt um, sort of approach to reading. Mm-hmm. So. And this will be available. You said in September. Um, no, the book is. It's called the September Seven. Is the name of it. But um, ah. it'll be available uh, when we get all of our uh, copyrights. <laughs> done so hopefully in the next six months uh, <laughs> so it. we're still working we've got some legal stuff pending but um, right. so um yeah so that's that's another one of my little projects well at the beginning i mentioned there's some questions i i ask everybody um and and because and when we were talking off uh offline i said you know because there's some things that i think it just all the different answers you know to the same question you know it can be illustrative um and as we're heading towards the end of our time, I want to ask you the, uh, this question. What do you see are the top five characteristics that you think compose a champion? And that could be, it doesn't have to be obviously a Grand Slam champion, but, you know, a champion, whether it's in college or in the, in the, in the juniors or, or whatever that is. Um, what do you consider to be the top five characteristics? Um. You know, there's the first thing that comes to mind is determination. You know, there's a look you can see in a kid's eyes that you know somebody that's really, really all in, 100, percent and that they want it. Um, and then um, obviously, um, you know, the discipline that comes with that. And um, just a lot of hard work. That comes with the discipline and you know um obviously good technique um but you know technique in in my opinion is you need you need the the discipline and the determination um along with good technique yeah and then um you know i think a a, a good you know family dynamic is important too i think you've got to be surrounded by you know really good family um and a coach too you know or somebody that's really supporting you and not um, putting too much pressure on you and not um you know stressing you out and um you know and just being supportive because yeah. it's 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 an intense intense you know i'm, I'm talking as a, as a kid and trying to develop your game you know right. it's, it's it's a long race and you have to, it's a long road and a long race. And I think you have to go into it that way. And, um, you know, it's every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's, you know, I think that's, you know, why Nick even said, he goes, look, tennis is a lonely sport. You're out there, you know, it's just you and uh, yeah. it is hard. So, you know, having that determination, the discipline, yeah, and having obviously good technique helps. <laughs> yeah, well, um, and you know, you you've got to want to do it. You've yeah. you've got to, you know, I don't care how bad your parents want it or your coach want it or how talented ta- talented you are or all the rest. But if you don't want to put the time in and do that, then it's just not going to happen. You know, you have to. You just, I mean, you have to put it in. Yeah. Well, Ann, it's been uh, it's been great having you on. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm really appreciative of you coming on the show and taking time out of your day because you got a lot of coals in the fire. And uh, oh, uh, so, pleasure. thanks a lot. It was totally fun talking to you, Steve. Yeah. 
Well, uh, you've been listening to the Coach Steve Clark PhD show with Ann White. He, she, she's the current director of Beverly Hills Tennis Club, a former top 19 WTA player, a movie producer, um, educator. Uh, so be sure to check out the trailer uh, to the movie Love Means Zero um, on my, uh, on my uh, website. And uh, be sure to like and share this and all my podcasts, uh, blogs, and my website with your friends at CoachSteveClarkPhD.com. Uh, you'll find blogs and podcasts, resources, some video discussion there and more. Uh, special thanks to Collins Company, um, Cord Equipment, and Aero Concrete and Asphalt Specialties. Uh, I also welcome your comments and questions, and you can reach me at steve at coachsteveclarkphd.com. And uh, I'm just going to leave you with a, a motto of mine, and that's uh, rare greatness comes at a steep price. Mediocrity is abundant and cheap. And you can find uh, find a blog on that. I discuss that on my website. I kind of break down each one of those things. And as I say every show uh, with the Bryan Brothers music coming up, I remind you to just let it rip. <laughs> <laughs>